Authentic leadership is about knowing yourself, owning yourself, and being true to yourself. This sounds good in the you-do-you world we live in, but in reality, it's way more complicated than that. You're listening to Buff Speak, the official podcast of the Paul and Virginia Angler College of Business at West Texas A&M University. I am Dr. Nick Gerlich, your host, as we meet up with the thought leaders making an impact today. Societal impact is one of the biggest buzz phrases circulating in academia these days, especially in colleges and schools of business. It is an imperative as decreed by our accreditor, AACSB, And although the accreditor lets its member schools define the phrase as well as how to achieve it within our specific spheres of influence, you just know it when you see it. It's one thing for faculty members to make their societal impact, but it's quite another when a faculty member makes it part of a class project and thus introduces students, the next generation of professionals, to have the same mindset. My guest today is Dr. Kelly McCauley, Associate Professor and Angler Professor of Management. Kelly earned her PhD at Texas Tech and came to us straight out of grad school. Her specialty is leadership, not just in a textbook fashion, but also in a lead-by-doing kind of way. Welcome to the show, Kelly, and tell us about your academic journey and how and why you chose to join us here at WT. I think the most important about my uh, most important aspect of my academic journey begins when I was um, in undergraduate and I was fascinated with leadership. I had discovered leadership through volunteer work uh, with the American Red Cross. And so I just decided to read about it on my own. I discovered the scholarly study of leadership. And that was about the same time that the authentic leadership literature was um, developing in management, and I became fascinated. And so I knew then that I wanted to study authentic leadership. And about the same time, I took a class with my favorite professor. And my favorite professor, Dr. McNamara, in sociology, I said, you know, I want to be like Dr. McNamara, except I want to teach leadership. What's really interesting about my academic story is that at that time, my maiden name is Davis. And Dr. McNamara, uh, we called him Dr. Mac for short. And now my professional name is Kelly Davis McCauley. And I tell my students to call me Dr. Mac. And I just love that part of my story. So the Dr. Mac that inspired me to be a professor, now I have that name as well. So I started 20 years ago studying leadership on my own, discovered authentic leadership, and then baby-stepped my graduate education all the way to Texas Tech to study authentic leadership with one of the biggest names in the field. So how did I choose WT? I chose it because of my network. One of my best friends in my PhD program is a WT alumni. And his wife, also a WT alumni, both from the College of Business. And so they both love WT. And because I was teaching it, 
Texas Tech, and I was doing a really good job. My BFF in the PhD program, WT alum, said, hey, you would love the College of Business and their emphasis on teaching. And so I applied. The process was really smooth. And because WT offered a job to me very early on, before I had even interviewed anywhere else, I said yes. I also loved the emphasis on teaching, and I, th- I think I found a really good fit at WT because of that. Well, that's a, that's a highly unusual uh, job story there because so many PhD students usually wind up on the workforce with a lot of options. Um, you know, we're kind of in short supply these days, and it's not unusual to have offers from, you know, two, three, four schools, and, and then they get to pick. But you wanted to come here. Um, and, and really, it, it wasn't much of a cultural or geographic challenge moving north just a couple of hours from Lubbock. So you already kind of knew the drill. You knew it was dry, barren, no trees, lots of wind, all that kind of stuff. But this is really far removed from your home state. How was that transition? Well, my home state is South Carolina, the land of trees and humidity. And it was a big transition. The transition was more going from Greenville, South Carolina to Lubbock, Texas. That was the big transition. And so my first year in Lubbock, I struggled because it was just so different. And about a year in, I said, I still have years to go here because the plan originally was I'm going to get my Ph.D. at Texas Tech and move back to the East Coast. And But I knew I had five years there. So I had to say, you know what? I've got four more years here. And so I changed my mindset. And I said, I'm going to appreciate the area for what it is and appreciate it for what it isn't. And when I took a more relative approach and opened myself up in that way, then it changed for me. Along the way, I met my Texan honey. And so I've started to, I started to at that point enjoy the charms of West Texas. And he helped me with that. And so then you see what happened. It does have a way of working on you, doesn't it? (laughs) (laughs) I remember us having a hallway chat not long ago about what you did in your management 4337 course, Leadership and Teamwork. Tell us what this course is all about. Um, I mean, obviously, the words in the title are pretty straightforward, and I guess they're easy to define, but much harder to implement. You do know them when you see them, but I know from my own experiences that I don't always realize them until they are in the rear view. What are your objectives of this course? Well, I want my students to experience teamwork. And to experience leadership within the course, not just learn about it in a classroom setting. And so, and I think that's where they actually internalize the learning, is if they can experience it. And so I want them to understand challenges that teams face. Teamwork is not magical. It doesn't, you know, you can do things to make it more effective, um, but Teams will face challenges. And so how do they overcome those challenges? What are some common challenges? Um, I want them to experience developing a project from start to finish. I want them to have practice leading within their team. 
um, develop their teamwork skills. So that includes their communication. That includes working through conflict, um, a variety of things, uh, being more um, vulnerable with their team. I want them to practice those things and ultimately be better equipped to be an effective team member within the organizational setting. And what about this service learning project that you built into this class? Uh, When you started telling me about it, it really caused my ears to perk up, but you you need to tell it in your own words here. Sure. Uh, So the way that I get my students to experience teamwork in the class is through this service learning project. And so I tell my students from the beginning, they have to do a philanthropic thing. And I use the word thing because it can take philanthropy, philanthropy can take a number of directions or looks. And so it could be education. It could be fundraising. It could be something else that they determine or create. And so I don't truly define it for them or give it a specific look. Instead, instead, I say it has to be a philanthropic something where they are doing good for others in the community. And so they have to choose a project uh, and that project then has to be large enough that they work interdependently, meaning they it can't be the size where any one student in the team could just go and do it. It has to be large enough that they have to rely on each other to get it done. It also has to be large enough that each person within the team can take a leadership role at some point in the project. And so they have to figure it out. I don't select the organization for them. They select the organization. They select the project. I put some parameters around it. Um, So I I tell them that it can't be too controversial. Um, Sometimes students want to go too big. And I say, maybe that's not accomplishable within the semester time frame. Sometimes they sell themselves short and I say, no, you need to work a little harder and you need to think more of yourself. So um, you need to increase your goal. And so I converse with them. It can't be um, it can't be something where they just attack, attach on to something that's existing. Um, So they really have to take ownership of something, create something, um, and and run it all the way through. How did your students react when they heard they had to engage in charitable work? I mean, I I can see this as being a jaw-dropping moment for students on the first day in the semester because this, this is the kind of thing that could require an enormous amount of time. And we all know how tough it is just to get a, a group of students together to work on on a group paper or something uh, because everybody's got different work schedules and class schedules and all that. And then you throw in this kind of work that that totally blows a lot of people's calendars. What, what was the reaction? Well, I think that they probably didn't know what to think. Um, and that's because the first day of class, when you're talking about things, I tell them, Because the title of the class is Leadership and Teamwork, and the goals are to be better team members, then 50% of their grade is based in their teamwork and team-based projects. So I start with, if you don't want to work in a team, 
and you don't want to work on a philanthropic something, this might not be the class for you. And that's not usually my style to tell students that. Um, And one of my students told me, I thought students were going to drop after that. No one did. No one did. And so I think that they're unsure of what it's going to look like. But as we go along, they end up getting really excited about the projects that they're working on. And toward the end of the semester, you could just see the pride that they had in what they did. Now, I could see this being a perfect fit for a campus-based class, but what about in the online arena where you might have students from California to New York and there is no such thing as a local charity for everybody on the team? Is this something that you just have to forget about when teaching the class online? I haven't taught the class online in the way that I teach it. I think it's uh, it's something that works the best in the on-campus format as far as working in a team. When you start to um, go online, then you have you could have students from around the world, different schedules, making it a lot more challenging to work together and to choose a charity and and come together. Um, this is the type of class where. I think it's best on campus. Who specifically benefited from these students' efforts and, and, and in what ways did they benefit? Well, my students uh, chose five different charities. Um, and so the one for each team. And I'll just walk you through each, um, each student team's project and the outcomes. Uh, so one of my teams... Uh, hosted an on-campus blood drive. And this team, they had a completely full blood drive. They had 15 people donate blood. And in order to get people um, motivated, they went out and asked for donations from the community for pizza and giveaways for their donors. And so they As a result of donations from the community, they had gift packages for donors and they had prizes that they entered the donors' names into. So they had, um, for example, a grand prize that was an entertainment package from Synergy with four laser tag tickets, four movie tickets, Um, I think some food as well. So they went out and really got some donations. Uh, And so they were very proud to have a completely full blood drive. And if you think about the impact of the blood from 15 donors and how that would be used, that's a huge impact for others, possibly saving someone's life. So that's just one team. And we've got four others to discuss. So the next team, uh, they collected canned food for another chance house. And another chance house provides a positive path to a sufficient life for men who are homeless or at risk of homelessness. And so this team, they solicited donations of cans on campus. They collected 300 cans and delivered them to another Chance House. Another team, uh, they, they did something really cool where they worked with Kids Inc. 
and they had an on-campus flag football tournament. And because they were so committed, they wanted to raise more money. And so they purchased on their own energy drinks from Sam's and sold them for weeks in the activity center. And so they hung out selling uh, selling those in candy and, and snacks and things. So they raised over $1,300 for Kids, Inc. Fourth team. The fourth team, they worked with Amarillo Angels Foster Care Foundation. And so they wanted to raise money for that organization. And they were creative in terms of how they decided to raise money. And so they said, we're going to bake cinnamon rolls. So they baked a couple hundred cinnamon rolls together and sold them to friends and family. And they raised over $1,000 doing that, just using their own network. And the last team, they raised $700 at a Dine and Donate um, at Bubba's 33, a local restaurant. Uh, and they donated their, um, their money raised to Ronald McDonald House. And so they had a table outside where they were educating people about Ronald McDonald House as they entered the restaurant. They set up cornhole for people to play. They also got a donation of popcorn bags that they were selling. Um, and so they were really hustling and doing a lot of really cool things and found that the community was interested in what they were doing. How did they select these organizations and beneficiaries? I mean, it seems like there, there are needs everywhere. We know this. And they could have chosen from dozens, even hundreds of worthy causes. And I guess maybe more importantly, is this just really a good example of uh, how societal impact is really up to you to decide how you want to make your mark? I let the students choose their organizations, um, and I found that when they got to choose their charities, several of the student teams chose charities that meant something to them. And so the team that chose the Amarillo Angels Foster Care Foundation, one of the students on that team came through foster care. And so she was really passionate about this organization and got the students in her team passionate about it as well. The team that um, that donated to Ronald McDonald House, they had a personal connection there because one of the team members um, had a fam had family members who had stayed at Ronald McDonald House um, when their son passed away unexpectedly. If you recall the football player, the Dowhart football player that passed last year, that family stayed at the Ronald McDonald House, and one of my students was related to them. And so they chose charities that, that connected with them. And I think that makes it more special and could possibly motivate the students even more. Did your students meet your expectations and objectives for the class? They exceeded them far beyond. Um, I was so proud of the work that they did. In total, $3,000 raised for charity in a matter of a few weeks. 
um, which is just phenomenal, if you ask me, because I don't give them any resources. Uh, So they do this all with zero dollars from the college or from the class. They do this on their own with their own dollars. And I don't actually, in the structure of the points for the class, give them any points for the charitable work that they do. So I truly leave it as philanthropy and charity that they are doing. Where I grade them on this is in a presentation that they put together at the end of the semester where they talk about the teamwork concepts from the class that applied to their team experience. And they talk about the results of their project and and share um, and celebrate what they've done. And so... I am beyond proud of what they did. Well, let's look at see how uh, how this all ties into leadership and teamwork, you know, the name of the class. How did you make sure that their charitable work fit into the the broader rubric of the course, you know, leadership, teamwork? How did you make sure that all happened? Well, that's uh I ensure that on the front end where I tell them that the project has to be large enough that they have to work interdependently. And so that means that they experience a core element of teamwork from the beginning, which is interdependence, which is we're relying on each other. There are different forms of interdependence, and they can use those different forms, but I want them to experience a core element of teamwork, which is the interdependence, and that happens in the setup. The other part is I want them to take um, to take a leadership role. And so the project has to be big enough that each member of the team is responsible in an identifiable way for an element of the project. Now, I, I consider your students' work to be a, a true success story for the College of Business. Uh, but one thing we must all remember is that success is not always measured in dollars or products or things like that. It's measured and lives changed. And how did your students change lives while doing this? Well, I think first of all, the students' lives were affected because they had an opportunity to learn about teamwork together. And there's this class had a certain magic to it, an experience where This is the type of experience that you hope you get in college where you can look back fondly and say, I did that and I accomplished this cool thing. And I did it not only with classmates, but people I now call my friends. That's that's a great story. Um, Being able to not just bring about change for somebody else's life, but then realize later that maybe your life changed even more in the process. That's great. Um, That's really not a whole lot different from service learning experiences like overseas when you uh, go to some impoverished area to build a house or a church or something like that. And it's long afterward, you realize, whoa, I'm the one who changed the most here. But maybe that's the whole idea, isn't it? That's a good thing. Um, What are your plans for the future, Kelly? I mean, do you have some more of these service learning projects coming up soon? We got to know the semester starting here really soon. I'm teaching this class in the spring, 
And so I will be doing this exact same formats with the goal of us continuing to do good in the world and to put our business education to good use. So once the word gets out that you're doing all these great things here with these students, do you think you might have uh, nonprofits and so forth knocking on your door, begging to be part of the class project? I hope so. Um, then I can make some introductions between the organizations and my students. But I want my students to make the choices because then they're going to be more motivated to do this work in the class. After the break, we'll take a look at Kelly's research, which is tied very closely to the courses she teaches. Life sometimes has a way of interfering with our university education. Marriage, family, work, any or all of these can cause us to hit the pause button on our degree with hopes of one day finishing it. The only problem is that returning to campus can get a lot harder when you're no longer 20 years old. And that's precisely why we launched our online BBA with majors in accounting, finance, general business, marketing, management, human resource management, and computer information systems. Available completely online. You can return to school without having to step foot on campus, or maybe you want to transfer in from a two-year program elsewhere, but once again, are not able to attend face-to-face. -face. Our online offerings are for you as well. We can help you finish your degree and climb higher on your career ladder at your pace and in your time. We're double A CSB accredited and among the most elite of business schools around the world. Reach for the stars and do it with a WTBBA in hand. For more info, find us at wtnu.edu slash cov or call 806-651-2525. Anyone doing a quick search on Google Scholar will discover that your journal publications fill two screen pages and that you've been cited in other papers more than 4,100 times. And well, that may not be like Jimmy Buffett or Rolling Stone status, but it still definitely puts you in Billboard's top 40. Tell us about your main research interests. My core research interests uh, are in leadership primarily authentic leadership, but I've drifted to charismatic leadership, a um, little bit of transformational leadership. Um, I've looked at attachment styles and how those um, influence leaders. Uh, and, and then I've drifted toward management education as well because I am a teacher and I want to do my job well. And so I look at how can I merge research and teaching together. Uh, and so I am fascinated with authentic leadership. And that's where I focus mostly. Uh, and I look at um, the paradoxes of authentic leadership, the intricacies of authentic leadership, um, various ways to look at authentic leadership, um, that is something that has fascinated me for the past 20 years. And if I haven't gotten tired of it yet in the past 20 years, uh, I don't see that going away anytime soon. So what exactly is authentic leadership? I mean, is like the opposite of fake leadership or what? <laughs> <laughs> in some ways, yes. Uh, it's a genuine form of leadership where authentic leadership is about Understanding who you are and doing the self-work to understand who you are, owning who you are, 
and then acting in accordance to that self while in the leadership role. And this sounds really good, but it's way more complicated if you put this within an organizational setting. And since we're in business, that's what it's what we're always talking about is how do we uh, how do we lead others and bring ourselves along with our leadership? Because we don't check who we are at the door when we're a leader. Instead, hey, that person comes with us. And so how do we lead in a true way that's connected to our values, that's connected to our moral and ethical code? And that's really where authentic leadership started, because we were seeing all of these cases of unethical actions in business. So the idea that if we stay more connected to who we are and our moral and ethical code, maybe we'll see less of these shady, unethical actions in business. And so that's where authentic leadership started. And it consists of four components, self-awareness, relational transparency. So it's not enough to just understand who you are. You have to let people know who you are, show who you are, be a little more vulnerable about who you are. Why is that a good thing? Well, if followers know who you are, know what you value, then there's a predictability to that. I know who my leader is and I know what they're going to say and I know how they're going to act. You also looked at leader and follower attachment styles. What exactly are these? And for that matter, are leaders born or are they trained? And are some people just better suited to be followers? So leader and follower attachment styles, this is something that comes out of the psychology literature. And so this research, the attachment theory research, came out of looking at attachment patterns between children and their parents, particularly babies and their parents. And depending on how the parents responded to their baby and their children, um, then there's a an attachment style that develops. And those attachment styles can be secure or various um, types of insecure. And so these are working models that tell us how to um, how to interact with others in terms of whether we connect and whether we're secure in that relationship or whether we're anxious and then clingy in the relationship. You might recognize this as far as something in a dating relationship or a marriage um, or whether we're avoidant. And and if we're avoidant, we're, we may be less connected, less likely to share, less vulnerable, um, not wanting to really contribute. You can also probably see that in a romantic relationship. And so this the attachment theory literature started looking at parent-child relationships was applied to romantic relationships and then has recently in the last mm, few years or so has been applied to the leader-follower relationship. And so we looked at how leaders and followers bring these attachment styles forward and then how those could be potentially malleable Uh, such that if the leader really is responsive to follower needs, 
really is consistent in terms of providing a secure base where the follower can go and and discuss issues and get support, then even though the follower may have an insecure attachment style from their upbringing or from their romantic relationships, previous relationships, how could the leader uh, foster a stronger, more secure leader-follower relationship or attachment style? And what role would authenticity have in helping that along? One word I keep seeing pop up in academic circles as well as on your CV is andragogy or andragogical approaches. And I may have butchered that, but um, this differs significantly from the much more commonly used word pedagogy, which we toss around here all the time. And yet andragogy is actually what we do in academia. Tell us about the difference, not just in definition, but also the process. So the difference in terms of pedagogy is we use that to apply to um, to children or to um, education K through 12. Um, and andragogy is a, applied to adults. And so um, it's different in terms of teaching children versus, in our case, in higher education, um, developing adults. And then how would you approach education? It's going to be different from teaching children uh, versus young adults. With the case of young adults, particularly in business, our students come in and they have experience working. So they're familiar with the concepts that we talk about in management. And so we can draw upon those experiences to help them make connections. Can't do that with pedagogy. Um, not in the same way and not in terms of our business education. The other part here is that when we talk about andragogy, then we begin to uh, be able within business education to scaffold education where you develop um, an education that uh, that steps that takes kind of a stepladder approach based on where someone is and what their experiences are. So basically, by the time they get to you, most of the students have probably already had an experience with a bad boss and maybe one with a good one. And they've already started forming their own ideas of what leadership is and isn't. Yes. And they, they may have already had some experiences themselves as leaders. And so then it's taking those experiences and then helping them to step ladder to bigger and better learning and deeper learning through that. But it's really an opportunity to draw upon what they already know and to deepen it. And, and, and what about teamwork? What have you done in this field? I mean, I, I'm fascinated by this and I would love to have you help me out here. At least some of my students, you whom I would characterize as does not play well with others. Because <laughs> <laughs> we all have them every semester, it seems like. <laughs> Well, I've done more research in leadership than I have teamwork, uh, but I have an interesting project um, that I did several years ago that looked at research teams and their, um, the outcomes of the research teams in terms of where they publish their papers, what tier of journal did they publish in, and then how did things like 
shared mental models, trust, coordination, and authentic leadership and shared authentic leadership, how did those things affect the team's output, affect their performance, affect their self-rated team satisfaction? And so there's this is one where at least in academia it goes, oh, that's interesting. Um, and this was a paper where we learned more about the role of shared authentic leadership within a team because research teams are unique in the sense that usually people bring a value to the team where they're the expert in the content area or they're the expert in the research method. And so when you go to different points in the research process, then a different leader may emerge at a different point in time throughout the process. And so we looked at how leadership was shared and evolved and changed through the team and then affected their research output. Now, one of the things that perplexes me about these is how you define the constructs and then how you measure them, because this is this is every researcher's responsibility Explain this. Well, I'll use authentic leadership as an example. Uh, So I already gave the definition of authentic leadership, and I was starting to talk about the components. And so the way that we understand authentic leadership is first through that broad definition, and then secondly, through the components for it, self-awareness, relational transparency, and internalized moral perspective and balanced processing. And so in leadership, research in particular, we tend to use a lot of surveys, surveys that have been validated. And so we have uh, authentic leadership questionnaire, authentic leadership inventory uh, that ask questions about those components. And that's how I do a lot of my research. If I'm doing empirical research, it would be through surveys. Uh, But it is interesting to note that there are some other ways to look at authenticity more broadly. Uh, And so there's some implicit measures as well, such as uh, even how large you may write your signature or how small Mm -hmm. and how that um, how that speaks to a person's self-esteem and then how that might connect back to authenticity. So there's some implicit ways to possibly triangulate authentic authenticity um, and by extension, authentic leadership. But the core way to measure, for example, authentic leadership is through surveys that have been valid, validated and really put through the ringer. Now, I've heard through the years, and I'm guilty of this as well, that if you have a zinger for a title, you've already gotten past a couple of speed bumps on the way to publication. And hands down, uh, your paper, the one that really caught my eye, was titled The Gaslighting of Authentic Leadership. Now, now there's a word we have heard a lot of lately. Please explain what you examined here and how can gaslighting happen in the field of leadership? Well, I'll start by saying that this was one of the most fun papers to write. I think I've had the most fun um, in research working on this paper. And so this paper was um, a conceptual paper where there are some critical theorists in our leadership field that really came after authentic leadership and said, hey, here's here's some issues with it. And even said, it's perilous to study authentic leadership. 
And so we fought back and we said, hey, you're gaslighting authentic leadership. And we laid out um, all these reasons why. And we pointed out the issues in uh, in their paper that said it was perilous. And so this was one where we really got to uh, write in a very provocative way to argue, no, here's uh, here's the support uh, for the construct. And then we also said, hey, here's some areas where we, we need more research uh, to advance it forward. And so this became an exchange where the authors then wrote back to us um, in the journal and replied to our comments, and then we got to reply back to them again and um, and have the last word as far as, hey, if you're going to come after authentic leadership, we're going to punch back. And so it's a really interesting article um, that very clearly points out um, the benefits of authentic leadership and studying it and its contributions. So, so basically, they were saying everything you were doing, this entire stream of research was just rubbish, right? Pretty much. It's too positive. It's uh, one of their points was, hey, it's uh, there's an issue here with um, with this in terms of it's more pseudoscience. It's more for consulting. And we said this stuff is taught at Harvard and go ahead and argue with Harvard. We're not going to. That was a great mic drop moment there, wasn't it? Yeah. <laughs> what are you working on now, Kelly? Any any new and emerging research interests? Well, uh, one area that I've been working toward is um, looking at networking in my management education space. Uh, and so I have my students network at the beginning of class for the first five minutes of every class. And so I thought this works really well. And because it works so well, I'm going to do it online. I'm going to have my students network online. So my MBA students, they have to network with each other and they get a variety of options. And so I recently wrote a paper about that. Uh, but we, uh, I collected some data as far as networking in an undergraduate class, as far as online networking. Uh, so I've been working in that space to look at the effectiveness of online networking for students. Uh, and I'm going to continue to do research as far as the paradoxes and, and um, intricacies and idiosyncrasies of being authentic at work in the leadership role. When we come back, we'll circle back to societal impact and how leaders can effect and affect these ideal points. The demand for professionals in data analytics and information systems far exceeds the supply, which is why the Paul and Virginia Angler College of Business developed the Masters of Science in Computer Information Systems and Business Analytics degree program. Already, external reviewers have ranked it among the highest IS programs in the nation. We are an AACSB-accredited college and among the most elite business schools around the world. Available completely online, this program will help you transform businesses and propel them far into the 21st century. Data mining, data analytics, and data science are keys to your success, and we provide the key to unlock your future. 
Reach for the stars with a West Texas A&M Master's in Computer Information Systems and Business Analytics. For more info, find us at wtamu.edu cob or call 806-651-2500. From the Texas Panhandle to the world, we're here to help you reach those stars. Kelly, you've taken the societal impact mantra to heart. How do you think your class projects change the lives of your students? And what does this have to do with leadership? Well, my students were so proud of what they did. It was just oozing off of them. And so I think, first of all, in terms of changing their lives, it showed them they can do this. And they can do this in a really short time frame. They can create a project. They can serve their community. They can create something that they're proud of and do it with others collaboratively. And so in terms of leadership, um, not only is it about accomplishing the goal, it's about developing relationships. And I think my students did that. And they can be leaders who put positive in the, in the world, who affect positive change in their communities. And so I think I gave them at least a starting point for that and a pathway to accomplish the goal, do it while making really good relationships with others and doing good for their communities. What's your highest hope for these students as they enter their own professions? My hope is similar to what I just said. When they get a leadership role, I hope they understand that it's not just about the power of the role. It's not just about, hey, I did it. I accomplished this thing. Um, it's, it's not just the climb. Instead, it's I can be a really good person and develop really good relationships with others and make positive changes in my in my community and in my life. Um, so that's what I hope for them as they go forward. Um, I hope they find meaningful careers. And, and how rewarding would it be for you if in five years you see a news item about one of your former students who is now doing a really big charitable project? Would that make your day? It would be absolutely amazing. And of course, it would make my day. <laughs> But wouldn't it be easier if we all just did our jobs, went home, came back to the office in the morning? I mean, it's hard enough to keep up with, especially here in academia, our teaching, research and service. But to factor in another layer of accountability can take a lot of time and effort. Absolutely. It, when I teach the leadership and teamwork class and I do this philanthropic project, it is more time. I support all of the projects that my students do. And so when I talked about my students selling energy drinks at the activity center, I support them and I, I went and bought an energy drink and I hung out with them at the, at the activity center because I want them to feel supported. I went to dine and donate at Bubba's and donated. I, I, I attend all of their things. I hung out with the students while they did their blood drive. And I think that the impact here is huge because the students know that I'm supporting them. So I donate to all of their charities and I do that with my own money. 
and I attend all of their things. And that is important to me to show that I'm supportive of them and what they're doing. And I think it makes a huge difference. So, yes, it's more time. Yes, it's more effort. But I think it's worth it. And and even if they do change lives along the way and their lives are changed again, how do, how do we begin to measure all this? I mean, is it is it measured in number of canned food items collected or the number of pints of blood donated? Uh, uh, and and is one more important than another? I mean, can you even compare a can of soup to a pint of blood or any you know any of these things? It seems kind of nebulous and open to interpretation, and yet it's something still you know we have to do. I think that's the beauty of it to be open and nebulous because then it means that it can take any number of forms, and so while we may have to distill it down for our WACSB accrediting body to say, here's how we made a societal impact. Here's a clear um, report of that. I love that it's nebulous because then we can be drawn to areas where we feel um, there's meaning and connection and where we can make an impact, and that may be through donating blood, or it may be through um, serving at a soup kitchen. It may be any number of things, and so that allows us to make it our own. And and maybe that also speaks to the beauty of being able to define societal impact on our own, because we can't assume that the needs in one community are going to be the same needs elsewhere. We may have needs that are unique to this area and that no other area has, for example, but it's our job to find it and then fill it, right? Yes. Yeah. Okay. Are there any areas you think we could be making a greater societal impact right here in the Amarillo and Canyon area? Well, I think that my students have done a good job of making initial strides toward um, toward the College of Business having an impact um, and through through this class. And so I think there's so many opportunities to serve our community. And I, I can't pinpoint one single area. Um, that's that's not what I did. Instead, I leave it more broad for our students. Now, how have companies adopted a societal impact mindset like what you see at universities happening now? Well, we've seen lots of examples of companies incorporating philanthropic efforts. Um, so notably, an organization like Tom's, for example, they have the model of buy one, donate one. So if you buy a pair of shoes, we'll donate a pair of shoes. And they really pioneered that type of um, marketing for philanthropy, but it takes a lot of different forms. So organizations have uh, funds set aside. They have four philanthropic uh, efforts for donations to the community. Uh, we've seen locally, my students saw when they went to talk to organizations um, in the Amarillo and Canyon communities, that this is common for, for organizations in our 
in our area to donate to things. And so that's just part of who they are, giving back to the community. That becomes part of some of our companies around here, some of their DNA. And so I don't think this this is new. I think this is something that's been around and we've we've seen it uh, for a number of years in a lot of different ways. Why would a company like Tom's want to do this, sell a pair of shoes, donate a pair of shoes? Why do they do this? Well, I think it could be a couple of reasons. One could be a marketing strategy. This sounds great. And it sounds amazing to be able to report in a very quantifiable way. We donated X number of shoes um, to, to those who needed them. But a more important, uh, potentially a more important reason is to give their employees a purpose. And if employees have a purpose for what they're doing and why they're doing it and how they're contributing to this organization and they're doing good efforts, then employees may be more motivated, more connected to the organization uh, and may want to go to work just a little bit more. My guest today has been Dr. Kelly McCauley, Associate Professor and Angler Professor of Management here at West Texas A&M University. Thanks for being on the show, Kelly. Now give us your best shot. Business education can be a strong force for putting good into the world. You've been listening to Buff Speak from the Paul and Virginia Angler College of Business at West Texas A&M University. Our executive producer is Justin Lovell, and Allison Hunter is our associate producer. Our co-editors are Maverick Evans and Paul Torres. Lindsay Bjork is our Director of Marketing and Outreach Initiatives, which includes overseeing Buff Speak. Dr. Jeffrey Babb is Director of Accreditation and is our Technical Consultant. Finally, Dr. Amjad Abdullah is Dean of the College. You can find us online at wtamu.edu cob for more information about our programs. Be sure to check out our many academic offerings. Come for the quality, stay for the small classes, affordable tuition, and friendly approachable professors. And look online at our faculty blog, profspeak.com, for more insights. You can listen to BuffSpeak on your favorite podcast portal, as well as on our website, buffspeak.biz. And if you like what you've been hearing, don't be afraid to share us with your friends, colleagues, and family. Word of mouth has always been the best form of advertising. Until next time, love one another. For the Paul and Virginia Angler College of Business at West Texas A&M University, I am Dr. Nick Gerlich. And as always, go Buffs! Buff speak.